Hello again and welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. And I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Will Patrick, who is CEO at Culture Biosciences. This is one of those episodes where I get very excited because it's a very modern, tech-enabled, digital look at where the industry is going. We hear a lot of terms in our sector about digital transformation, cloud-based data, etc., etc. A lot of it goes over many of our heads and we, we brush it off as uh, that stuff for the future. It's not for now. Well, this guest is someone that's built a business that is absolutely disrupting the way that companies think about outsourcing bioreactors. Um, so as well as uh, Will explaining how his business culture biosciences came about, which is effectively a, a cloud-based uh, alternative uh, for companies wanting to access bioreactors. Um, so without needing to, to you know, invest in building your own reactors. It's about being able to utilize a cloud-based platform elsewhere in the world that gives you real-time data. It's a really, really uh, clever technology that we see elsewhere in the world, but not necessarily in our space. His background is actually um, at Google MIT, and he spent some time uh, in and around Kendall Square in the last decade as well. And that led him to looking at disruption in the space and how he thinks about building tools and hardware for bioprocessing. So that's a really um, interesting backstory to how Will ended up coming from a tech background into this space. We get into a great conversation where Will talks about the kind of the test cases and application for this technology, uh, both for biotech and biopharma companies who, uh, you know, he claims are all very much embracing digitization and uh, in simulation and virtual virtualization and all the stuff which is very future looking and less so he's seeing CDMOs, which is an interesting insight for any of you guys that are on the CDMO side of things. As a business has had to raise funds to, you know, build its own infrastructure for these bioreactors in California to offer that services to companies in the world. Will also talks about kind of that process of, of fundraising. And towards the back end of the episode, Will also kind of gives us, he paints a picture of what the future could look like in the space, which is uh, for anyone that's thinking of trends and where the future goes, that's something to look out for as well. For background, my guest is an entrepreneurial engineer with a background in mechanical engineering, product design, and bioengineering. He developed hardware products at the interface of biology and digital fabrication. He holds 17 patents and has published four peer-reviewed journal articles. Uh, he currently runs Culture Biosciences, a company building and operating automated bioreactor infrastructure for the biotech industry. Will graduated from the MIT Media Lab in 2015, where he was a researcher in the Mediated Matter Group. His research focused on 3D printing fluidic systems and the applications in biotech and product design. Previously, he worked for uh, Google X as a rapid evaluator, where he developed and prototyped new projects for the organization. He's also the founding, a founding member of Google X UAV Delivery Project, a project wing, which was an early team member of Project Loon and also the lead launch communications for Project Glass. Impressive stuff. And uh, I really think you'll enjoy today's episode. Uh, thanks to you for listening and being here with us today. I hope you're enjoying 
um, the podcasts that we are bringing thick and fast to your ears on a weekly basis. If you've got any feedback or any guests that you'd like us to interview, then please drop us a line through the podcast, which is moleculetomarketpod.com. And if you haven't been there to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, please do so where you get some good insights into other stuff going on uh, that we don't necessarily always share on the podcast. Um, if you're out and about at any events in the next few months, and then please let me know. I will be out and about as will my team. And thank you to my team as always for um, pulling together the podcast. And if you haven't already picked up a copy of The Floundering Founder, my uh, <clears throat> best-selling uh, book on Amazon, then please do so and let me know what you think. Enjoy today's show. Well, Patrick, welcome to Molecule to Market. Hey, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolute, absolute pleasure. And I have been excited to have you on the show because you have such a an interesting background into the sector. Um, you strike me as almost a tech entrepreneur as much as, as, much as a life science specialist. So uh, I was very pleased to be able to connect and, and have you on our Molecule to Market. So, Will, tell our guest a bit about you and how you ended up in the sector. And, and you've had some interesting experience along the way so so please tell us the story yeah sure so yeah like you said i have a maybe unusual background for someone who's building tools and services for bioprocessing and that yeah i come actually more from an engineering background someone who had built hardware and software systems and it sort of got really excited about what was possible in you know therapeutics and synthetic biology and bioprocessing more generally and wanting to figure out how could I build, you know, hardware and software systems for that space? So um, that's that's the the high level the, the high level story. <laughs> um, it you know for me, I think my interest in biology got kicked off when I was maybe twenty three, when I was working actually at Google of all places. This was now over a decade ago, and I was. I was on this team at Google, at Google X, which is their sort of, you could call it like advanced research lab. What they call it internally is uh, the Moonshot Factory. Um, and so I've been I worked on a bunch of different projects there. And but it's one of the things that I, I, I didn't work on, but I, w- I read about because one of, my, one of my colleagues was this visiting professor from Carnegie Mellon in, in computer science. And he was someone who had been working on biomolecular design tools. So things like Foldit and uh, Eterna. So the whole sequence to structure problem. And so he was sort of an expert in that. And and he was just sort of sharing with me some papers on DNA nanotechnology, which is basically the concept of coding sequences of DNA and then those folding in a folding using self-assembly into uh, three-dimensional structures. And I just thought this was like the most interesting and compelling thing I had ever read Um, as someone who loves building things and loves fabrication and manufacturing and how things are created. This was the smallest and most precise way I'd ever heard of anything being built. And it was just amazing to see these electron microscope images of little shapes being created out of DNA. So that was weirdly and strangely, my gateway into biology and my gateway into biotechnology. <laughs> and that led me to start the company. Some stops along the way were I went to grad school after that experience and I was at the MIT Media Lab. And I was 
sort of in a, it's a very interdisciplinary place. Uh, you do, I was doing research that's sort of the intersection of design and biology, um, working in the biomaterials and different fabrication technologies um, in Mary Oxman's lab. And that I had just had further exposure then to um, sort of generally you could call it uh, synthetic biology or you could call it sort of just you know engineering cells to make stuff um and you know some of my research was around those topics uh and i also just really remember at that time again i was impressed that this is again about a decade ago and it was a time when the discoveries of crispr were just happening um i remember there's all of these papers coming up coming out about the importance of the microbiome um, there's just, it seemed like there was so much new discovery happening and, you know, you're in the middle, you're at MIT, you're in, you're in Kendall square, you're seeing all the big buildings go up next to you from all the biotech companies. And, and again, as a, a younger person, I just felt very excited about that and wanting to think about how can I take my skill set that I've developed, you know, around building technology and apply it to this field. Um, do something useful, do something impactful. How can I make more of these new, you know, biomolecules come into existence? And was starting to talk to my friend um, Matt, who was my college roommate and also worked with me at at, um, at Google X. And Matt's just like this extremely talented multidisciplinary engineer working. He's got it, you know, sort of like a machine learning. mixed with like mechanical engineering he's just sort of someone who's can build anything type of person and so we were talking about how i was sort of talking about how excited i was about this sort of emerging field of you know synthetic biology and bioprocessing and sort of all the different you know both from you know the food applications to the cell and gene therapies to all the different things that were sort of being created and sort of you know, getting excited about what could we do, what technologies, what what could we build that would be sort of an accelerant into this space to make more of these and come to come to fruition, come to life. So, um, so yeah, we actually then set off a very what I would call pragmatic approach of really trying to think about what were the problems, what were the challenges, what was causing things to be slower, what technologies weren't in bioprocessing that we thought there, that could, there could be, where were the opportunities from Marva, again, from a technology perspective to create leverage for the industry to make something, you know, again, move things faster, make, make it cheaper to develop and, and scale up the biomanufacturing processes, reduce risk, just, you know, all, all the above, like where can we create, where, where can we use, you know, technology to create leverage for the industry and, and make some real solutions that are helpful. And so that's where we arrived at seeing that, you know, the, the industry really hadn't adopted sort of cloud-based software and cloud technologies um, yet. And, you know, when we looked at the biotech companies, everyone was sort of had their equipment in their own labs and that there was all this like cost and time associated with that, building all of that out. And then additionally, when you had service providers uh, like CDMOs, the experience for uh, working with those service providers was one where it is, you know, not particularly transparent, not particularly collaborative, more of a, um, you know, sort of hands-off approach. Um, and we saw, you know, a lot of opportunity to use sort of cloud-based software to 
uh, create a, a different sort of way that um, we could build out uh, bioreactor infrastructure. And so there's a different type of way for biotech companies to run their experiments and create a different service experience uh, using this cloud-based software approach. And so we started the company in, in around 2016. Um, and then we, we, we started actually running our very first services about a year and a half later uh, in early 2018. And just to pause you there, it's it's great to hear the the speed at which everything happened. Kind of two two questions. One, firstly, around when you started and you founded the business, was it always to focus on, I suppose, the biomanufacturing, bioprocessing space, or did you did you envisage the business having, I suppose, multiple kind of application areas? And it still may actually. And um, just curious to hear how you thought about. Obviously, you'd come out of that fantastic experience at MIT and you know, being in the center. And as someone that's worked in Kendall Square as well, I kind of, I, I was smiling when he said that because buildings, every time I got off the T-stop at Kendall, there was a new building going up. Um, did you, were you always kind of focused on that space or did you did you effectively pivot to that space somewhere down the line? Yeah, it's a good question. So we, all, from the beginning, we are always, we saw that there was, many different types of products that could be created from bioprocessing or you know using the cell as a factory to make stuff like the stuff there was lots of different applications for that um, therapeutics biologics cell and gene therapy but then also in the non-therapeutic space um, those are alternative proteins um, bioag um, new materials and so we saw sort of the application of technology being very broad and that it could be you know applied to all these spaces it turns out that just when we got started it was easier for us um to you know start working with some of these startup companies in the bay area who were actually focused on non-therapeutic products but some of our very first clients are actually in the synthetic biology space um so you know companies producing collagen proteins for um you know uh, skincare products or companies producing dairy proteins for you know cow you know cow free dairy products um things like that is sort of where we started and then you know then we started you know bringing on more pharmaceutical clients maybe about 12 months out is when we started bringing on those clients the first systems we actually built we haven't talked at all about our technology but you know, we, I guess I'll quickly say just so it makes sense for the audience, we've built out um, all of our own single use bioreactor technology and all the software to control that. Um, like I mentioned, that sort of cloud based software. And so, for the single use bioreactor technology, we actually started with we built out single use bioreactors for fermentation, microbial fermentation, because we had these more microbial oriented clients at the very at the beginning. And then about two, one and a half years in, we built the mammalian cell culture system. Uh, so, you know, we have a today, you know, and for the last several years, we have a mammalian cell culture system for suspension cell cultures. We also have the microbial system. Um, and so, you know, it, over time, we started bringing on more and more of these biotech and biopharma clients. And actually now today, it's interesting looking at history, really our, our focus point when we think about our strategy and we think about uh, where we see the growth for our business is going to be in the biotech and biopharma space. 
uh, in their in their development. You are listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. And my plan was to come obviously on to talk about culture and what you guys actually do because I, you know, having met some of your team, I think at the back end of last year and then looked at the business, it's a really interesting model actually. So if you don't mind just explaining, <laughs> I did watch the little animation video on your website, which I thought was excellent. So I was like, ah, oh, I get it straight away. Um, paint a picture to our listeners. Now our listeners will either be biotech, biopharma type people. There will be people that are in CDMOs um, or elsewhere in the supply chain and consultants, but give us a picture of how your business actually works and how you work with clients just to kind of simplify it as much as possible. Yeah, sure. We literally have a lab in South San Francisco. It's got about 300 small scale bioreactors and we effectively rent out the capacity of that to other companies. So um, let's say it's a biotech company or a biopharma company who is developing uh, their bioprocesses or their various molecules. We'd be working with their team, usually their process development team focusing upstream, and they can gain access to the infrastructure here to run their experiments instead of having to build out capacity at their site. So instead of having to do all the real estate challenges, all of the equipment challenges, building out team, effectively they can get access to 12, 24, 48, you know, reactors here at Culture. So the way they interface with us is all through our website. Um, and so we have a software application, which is in the web, where clients would design their experiment. Um, they would schedule their experiment. Um, and then critically, during the experiment, we have real-time access to everything. So real-time access to all the process data. It's like streaming back into the web app. So they're seeing everything good time access to anything on the batch record. Um, all the analytical that you take offline is also streaming back into the web app. So that's all available in real time. We also have these data analysis tools built into the web app. So for doing, you want to look at the data that is you know coming back in real time and compare that to the, the experiments that are happening last week or last month. You can, you can easily do that. Um, and so it's really trying to create an experience for the client where instead of it's like a similar data experience as if they had the equipment in their own, you know, facility, but it's, it's here and they don't have to deal with the hassle of building it all out. We have clients that range from startup companies to like some of the, the biggest biopharma companies in the world. And so there's different sort of, to some degree, use cases and value propositions for those different types of clients. I should also mention, we also work with CDMOs. So and in some ways, it seems like one, that was one of my questions, actually. So <laughs> if you can, yeah, I mean, we have CDMO listeners and I think someone will be listening going, oh, my God, here's the feature and we've got a problem <laughs> on our hands. But actually, my my way of thinking about it is actually I could see you being incredibly helpful to CDMO. So, yeah, like, please talk through the use cases of of the different customer segments that you work sure. with. And, and, I, and I can tell you now, this, this will be blowing the minds of people, some people listening, <laughs> because that's cool. It, it is. It is a, I've never come across a model like this in the sector. Now that's not to say there isn't anyone else out there that does this, but it is a really fascinating concept. And while you were talking there, I'd literally written down the words intuitive, sophisticated, modern, and also that kind of customer centric, you know, 
you can switch i can switch on the air conditioning in my car right now from my phone i mean clearly i, I wouldn't because it's snowing where i am but nevertheless that kind of <laughs> as a consumer we are so used to navigating technology and controlling our devices and controlling aspects through uh, just our the knowledge that we get from doing it day in day out and so it's you you've almost from what i can see taken some of that tech savviness and brought it into a space which quite frankly i'm sure you found quite old school <laughs> in places there's very much tick there's very much ticks the box of disruptive technology unless i am completely missing yeah. the point yeah let's talk about cdmos first because that one i think is is really interesting because i think on the, on the one hand so one, on the one hand it's like oh culture they're, they're like a new cdmo and maybe they're competitive to us actually that's not true and we're sort of this we're sort of you know you're totally right it's a different model and it, it can actually work really well with CDMOs. Um, so we have worked with CDMOs in a couple different ways. The, the main way is actually where they almost, it's like the same, it's actually sort of a similar value proposition as if we're just directly working with a biopharma or biotech company, which is maybe they don't have a lot of capacity built out for small scale reactors, um, which they might be using for preclinical process development campaigns. Like when you just need to develop your initial process before you get to you know phase one, or maybe they would want to use those small scale reactors for late stage optimization. So maybe you're in your phase two ish and you want to you have this initial process that's not particularly optimized. You want to improve it uh, in different ways. Um, there's a lot of uh, different you know DOEs and sort of experiments you might want to do in that late stage optimization timeframe. And then of course there's process characterization works, which often floods the capacity because it requires so many different small scale bioreactor runs and the scaled on model to be executed in order to create that data package which go to the FDA. So those are the primary use cases, right? And so CDMOs are doing that work uh, for their clients and the, that capacity, you know, they may not just have a lot of capacity built out. It could get flooded with like too much, you know, too much, you know, needs from different clients. Um, and so that can be a great way of the CDMOs partnering with culture because we, we really specialize in the small scale uh, execution and cost development. We also have this technology on the cloud side, which can be a great customer experience for the CDMOs clients. So there can be a really nice partnership there where culture can really be focusing in on that small scale sort of process development and work, working with the clients on that. And then the CDMO could be focused on um, you know, downstream development, uh, actually doing the um, clinical drug product manufacturing or the tox, tox material manufacturing so I can I can see a really nice partnership and synergy between the two types of companies, um, and that's what we've seen when we you know working externally with these types of companies. You know, additionally, we've actually worked with some CDMOs, particularly the really large ones, where they actually have research and development groups that are developing new technology, um, and then we actually have partnered with some of those research and development groups on so various projects. That's another way we worked with CDMOs. Um, so then you know. Let's talking about a few of these different types of, um, you know, clients. Yeah. So when you get into that mid-size, we actually become a very good fit. What we find is a lot of these mid-size biotechs, maybe mid-size, I might call it 50 employees to 500 or a thousand who have call it three, four, five, six different molecules in the pipeline. These companies we find they tend to want to start developing their processes uh, and have a upstream PD team internally. Um, and they are not as, they're, they're not a, they're usually not satisfied with only relying on the upstream development of uh, a CDMO partner. 
Um, they, they're probably partnering with CDMOs to manufacture molecules. Uh, but for the development of their process, they they see that as something they want to have internal talent sort of, uh, you know, developing. So those partners, interestingly, are great ones for culture because what we can sort of offer them is say, hey, you're looking to develop these processes. Um, you know, it could be both those use cases, preclinical process development, you know, before phase one, or it could be in that late stage optimization. So, we can, you know, for these types of clients, we can say, you know, it can be really great for you not to have to build out all the bioreactors, buy them all, set up all your real estate, it's like huge amount of CapEx, get to hire these dedicated staff members to run the labs. Um, you also probably haven't built out all the, the software systems for all the data analysis and all those components. And so culture sort of, we have this like, you know, our integrated approach of the software and the infra- this infrastructure and the service, that can be a really nice package for those clients to get going fast, to start developing their processes. So that's a that's a that's a, a really great sweet spot for us. We work with a number of clients like that. So then we we also work with your really large large um, uh, biopharma, and this is where you know these companies may have several different locations around the world that have you know over a hundred small scale bioreactors. So they may they have hundreds and hundreds of small scale bioreactors. So they have a lot of capacity built out, but they also are looking for opportunities to um, you know, have either de-risk their infrastructure that it would be, it's, it's useful for them to have another set of infrastructure for them to develop their processes, um, that's sort of separated from their, their existing sort of capacity. Um, it can be some, in some cases, the sort of virtualization of our system can be a, a really compelling point for them where they have scientists who don't want to go into their labs anymore and are looking for opportunities to work remotely, looking for opportunities to work from you know, different when they're traveling. And so actually culture has that sort of out of the box so they can be working with culture remotely from their house, et cetera. Um, and so there's sort of different types of value propositions for those large those large companies around sort of how they're managing risk, how they're thinking about their build out of their infrastructure, uh, being able to have some capacity with culture while also having their internal capacity. It's it's fascinating. I've been jotting lots of notes down as, you, as you've been speaking and lots of follow-up questions as well. I think... One of the things I think listening to you talk is used, for example, use the phrase customer experience. That's not a phrase that's typically used very often, say, in the CDMO <laughs> space. And I'll rewind back to something that you said actually right at the start of, you know, part of the opportunity that you and your fellow founder saw was, I suppose, the 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 way in which CDMOs work with clients and potentially I suppose the archaic or kind of older school infrastructure that you see in that model is is that kind of tech enabled thinking and that kind of customer centric way of approaching this and actually you know a cloud based solution it, that all seems like you know um, very very new to this space and kind of were you guys scratching your head thinking i can't believe and you know, i'm sure there are other companies that do similar stuff but maybe not at the same level as you guys were you scratching your head a bit being like i can't believe this doesn't exist in this space <laughs> or you know it's it's that kind of classic you know i i listen to what you guys do and i'm like oh such, it's like it's like when i first saw uber i was like this is such a good idea why did i not think of that like there's a there's a there's an element of your business which is i think is often what a lot of great businesses do, which are like people are like, oh, it's such a good idea. I can't believe I didn't think of this. But 
I'm just curious, like, what were the... Did, did you just see this as a sector that was absolutely right for digitization, for transformation? Is that where you saw the opportunity? I mean, I think it's a little bit like I was putting myself in the shoes of bioprocess scientists and these companies and feeling like frustrated for them. Like I was thinking to myself, like I'm an engineer who uses all of these amazing tools, like crazy and sophisticated tools to build software and hardware. And it's just like, there's like a whole industry of companies that build these incredible technology tools or engineers who are building hardware and software. And there is just like really nothing like n nothing like that for bioprocess scientists and engineers. And so I just sort of felt like almost like frustrated on the behalf of these, these folks. It's like, there's so much amazing technology that's being built around, you know, the cloud and, um, artificial intelligence and simulation and just digital technologies. And there hasn't been the uh, adoption of those in the space yet. Um, and that, that felt frustrating. And I was like, there could be, people could do their work so much more efficiently. Um, they could get so much more done. People could be more productive. We could just like probably cut down the costs of all this development work. Um, it just seemed like there was a lot of opportunity at a high level there because yeah, they're, they're, the, these, these types of technologies have made such a positive impact and, and just on the world at large, but also in a lot of these other industries. And it just felt like there, there's so much potential uh, to be helpful for, for, these, for these companies. And so that was sort of the underlying feeling for me. Yeah, yeah by, put, by doing that thing where you put yourself in their shoes. And you mentioned the word adoption. I mean, what, that, was one, that leads me nicely into one of my questions, which is one of the big challenges I've seen, I remember standing on stage and, in 2017 to a, a global CDMO uh, delivering a keynote in Madrid and saying that there are going to be, there is going to be digital transformation in this space and you're going to have to get on board with it. And there was kind of, it was scoffed a little bit. So, and one of the reasons, and, and having interviewed a few tech businesses on the podcast or people building digital tools is adoption is a challenge because there's a certain inertia in this sector that this is the way we've always done things like, and you then, you then layer on the regulatory aspects. You then layer on, it's just a naturally conservative industry that is a bit slow moving when it comes to adopting technology. So how do you guys deal or do you have to deal with the education piece quite a lot, which is, Hey guys, this is how it works because I can imagine like people saying, well, this seems too good to be true. This, you know, I, can't, I don't know how it all works. Is that, I'm just guessing, is that some of the challenges you come up against? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I would, I would say it's, it's useful in this case to separate out um, biotech and biopharma companies versus CDMOs, because I see very different adoption patterns between those two groups. Whereas the biotech and biopharma companies right now, I would say are very fully embracing digitization or, and have strong efforts going on. Um, and like we go in and talk to folks who are at those companies and talk about the cloud and no one's, no one's like, oh, cloud, we don't do that here. Like we're, we do on premise, our data has got to sit on site. We don't, we're, we're not doing the, like no one, no one says that actually anymore. That was, I think that was the case not that long ago, but that's not really happening anymore. It's much more like you go talk to the chief information officer, or the VP of IT at a one of these companies, and they're like, oh yeah, of course. And here's the things that are important to us. We care about security. We care about all these different elements, but 
yeah, great. Of course we want this in the cloud and yeah, you want to put this in AWS and run your app there. Great. Fantastic. And they're really looking for, um, virtualization, digitization efforts. Actually, one of the things that companies are really looking for right now, um, this is something we haven't talked about, but it's an area that we're also working on is process modeling and simulation. So there's a lot of interest in those companies on how can we use data to better drive, basically using simulation and artificial intelligence to drive the development of bioprophecies versus relying on sort of more of the traditional methods uh, that have been sort of commonly in place. And so that's that's something that these companies are also really interested in. So I think that the time has really come or it's been coming in the biotech and biopharma companies in terms of their efforts. For CMOs, it is definitely slower. It's a challenging business. It's there's so many different elements of that business, you know, serving customers in real time. Um, it's just there's, uh, you know, obviously margins are lower in that industry compared to the biotech and biopharma companies themselves. Um, and so it's just it's harder to do these innovative efforts or digitization efforts. It's harder to to make time for it. It's harder to you know, stop your operations and install a bunch of new software. Like it's just, it's just difficult. And so I think it's, there's a lot, there's a big piece of that, which is that it may not rise in priority list, um, compared to how do we fill our capacity of our CDMO? How do we, um, bring on the new clients? How do we make sure our operations are at the quality standards we need, you know? And I think that, um, the, there's just not as much like internal capacity for those types of innovations and change. Uh, and so that's what, that's my feeling from talking a lot of CMOs. I think I talked to a lot of CMO folks who are really you know, excited about digitization and virtualization and realize that that's something that's really needed. Um, but I think that it's just sometimes it's hard to make that the priority when there's so many other things on the plate of those leaders of CMOs. So that's my, my two cents on that. No, no, it's, uh, I think that a lot of that rings true. And I'm sure there's lots of nodding heads of commercial people in CMOs <laughs> going, racking there saying i've been trying to sell this to my uh my board and it's not quite working i know we've only got about five or six minutes left so i just wanted to cover a couple of um kind of quick points before we before we wrap up and uh and genuinely it that uh, yeah i'm sure we could have talked about this all day well because i just find this really really kind of fascinating having someone like yourself on on the podcast when you uh, i suppose you mentioned earlier on the fact that you've built uh, you know, in, in not an inexpensive part of the world, you've built, uh, I suppose, a site with with bioreactors, 300 small-scale bioreactors, which I'm guessing is capital-intensive and in requires staffing in, in addition to the technology platform that you've built. That all it sounds very expensive. So how have you, what's the funding mechanism been from your perspective and, and how has that gone in terms of having to raise funds to build out what I presume is is a type of business that you can it's going to cost money to get it off the ground, but then the scale and repeat business then potentially brings a really really sound long term business model. So if that rings true anyway, just tell us a bit about the funding piece. Yeah, we have raised capital for this business through venture capital. So we've raised a few different rounds of venture capital over the years. Um, our last round was a Series B, which was in 2021 in the fall. Um, and uh, I think that the investors in the business have felt, I mean, have, you know, really, they're, they're, they come from the industry and have really seen 
the challenges and, and have wanted to see new technologies be applied to bioprocessing and biomanufacturing. So they really understood the problem area and that, and also honestly, like how big the market is in terms of the, the potential and the growth. But yeah, you're totally right. It's a, it, it requires capital to, to, to build this business. I will say it's a little bit less capital intensive than building out, let's say, GMP manufacturing. Yeah, yeah. Where, I was gonna, um, I, that was my assumption, actually. So, I mean, that is an expensive business. So we, we're, you know, we're, we're definitely almost at a, a different order of magnitude in terms of the capital requirements for us um, compared to that. Uh, and of course, we have a, we're doing different types of contracts and we're not doing GMP manufacturing, but we can be a lot more capital light compared to compared to GMP manufacturing, uh, just given um, the types of real estate we can be in. It doesn't need to be GMP real estate. Um, the equipment where we actually are building our equipment uh, versus um, uh, buying the equipment, which means we we typically have much lower capital requirements for our equipment, but we also, of course, we're doing the R&D of our equipment. We're building the technology of our equipment, which is expensive. So. There's, there's different trade-offs in terms of what where we have more of our expenses go to technology development versus um, go to capital equipment than a, you know, maybe a typical CPMO. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Final question for you, Will, just to, to wrap up the podcast. Right at the start of the interview today, you talked about uh, Moonshots and that was the division of Google X that you worked within uh, to kind of as part of that kind of advanced research labs looking for things that you know represent the future of you know what could what could be achievable so as you sit here today obviously given the focus of what your organization culture does paint a picture of the moonshot in terms of where this <laughs> industry could go right like what you know i suppose what it's almost like i'm asking you to be a bit of a futurist <laughs> of like you know giving me I suppose blowing people's brains a little bit of where you think the future could be um if that's not putting you on the spot too much but I am going to guess you're the type of guy that's thought about that type of thing sure uh, you can call it process modeling you can call it data-driven process modeling you can call it artificial intelligence you can call it simulation but effectively using data and modeling to develop processes optimize them even do the process characterization that to me feels like such a big opportunity with really, really huge value that's super clear to everyone. And it's already starting to happen in some in some little pockets. And I think one thing that's going to happen is that's just going to become more common as a common practice in the industry that's going to save a lot of time and cost. So to get a little bit more specific, it's sort of, you know, if you're, let's say you're starting to develop a process and it's going to be a bi-specific antibody and you're going to use, you have a cell line, maybe in mine. There's should be more tools that get you 80% of the way there off the bat. Meaning, um, here's a process, here's a cell line, here's sort of, the, here's a manufacturing process that we think will, will most likely, maybe again, 80% of the way there of um, getting you to the product quality and the product header you're looking for. And then critically, I set up steps where when you run experiments, the main purpose of running the experiments is really almost like training your model of your process uh, and then using that model to sort of optimize 
the uh, process in a simulated environment instead of having to run physical experiments and then using that model to predict performance at a large scale. Um, so that, you know, that concept of this model-driven uh, development of processes and scale-up, I think is, is already happening, but it's, it's not widely distributed. And so you see that various large pharma companies, they have their process modeling divisions that are doing this and, and are really saving costs and saving uh, time but it's not a common practice in the industry that I see. And I think that that's something I'm really expecting to happen more and more so. And, and we're seeing a lot of excitement and interest in that in the market right now when we go talk to clients about what are they looking for from a technology perspective. So that's the that's one big thing that, that I'm expecting to see more of. You know, what we're trying to do, and I think, you know, we, we won't be the only ones, uh, is trying to create a much more um, uh, flexible approach to where how you can get the work done for developing a process where if all the data, the process control um, is in the cloud, your equipment um, can be can be a little bit more like dumb, quote unquote, and be distributed you know, at your site, at a different site, at a service provider, and all of the control systems, all of the process information, all the data is all in the cloud. It creates just a lot more flexibility with the way that you can be thinking about developing a process. You can be, you can have run the, you know, Let's say you're working on a process. You have a you have a location where you run a few experiments. You only have a small scale. You only have four reactors. Maybe you run one or two experiments. Um, then, but if you have all that process information, all the process automation, all the process data is all in the cloud. So then you're like, okay, now I need to run a really large DOE. So let's run. I need to run 50 reactors simultaneously to look at the design space. Okay, so I'm going to go. We, there's a, you know, I'm going to use culture for that. I'm going to use a service provider that's really specialized in large scale, high throughput stuff. So I'm going to shoot that over to them. They're going to run this big study. I'm going to get all that data back. Great. Now let's go and you know move more. Just you know go ahead. So that's that's replacing instead of. Okay, I have my own lab. I need to build out 12 reactors. Okay, now that I have 12 reactors, I want to run a 50 run DOE. Okay, I'm going to run four things in series. That's going to take a long time. So it's just, there's these different, more flexible ways that can be, we can execute all of the experimentation, which saves a lot of time for everyone. If you have this sort of cloud-based uh, process, uh, process data, process automation system, process control. So that's a, that's something that I think is really exciting um, that you will see, you know, implemented uh, in the next, you know, five to 10 years or so. Oh, no, no doubt about it. And uh, well, I know where, uh... We're at time and uh, what an absolute pleasure it has been to have you on the podcast. Uh, we wish you all the best at Culture. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe. So the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website at Molecule to Market Pod or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecule to Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space.
Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.